Kyle with Texas Quality Assurance. This week we have a two-part episode for you. We are discussing the effects of the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus on our workplace and how we can perceive the risk from a individual perspective to an organization and societal-wide perspective might even have some ideas on some ways that this could be handled better using, of course, the process approach. In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections. Tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Now I am. Okay. This is Kyle with Quality Matters Podcast. So you might notice that Darcy is not doing the intro this week, and that's because she has actually decided to take our kids on a little uh, last-minute trip before school. So I am taking her place, and we have the legendary Mark LaCour of OGGN co-hosting for us this week. Say hi, Mark. Hey, everybody. I'm not quite sure I'm legendary. I do think it's cool, though. It's like bachelor day at your house today. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) Although I'm pretty damn lame. It just means that all I do is work. Yeah, that's how you know you're getting older, when it's like the bachelor day or the bachelor weekend, and all you do is work. Yep, yep, yep. But uh, since I got a chance to get Mark here on the uh, podcast, I want to talk a little bit about things more related to the oil and gas world. Um, so, Mark, you kind of had an interesting idea of a, a topic here to discuss, this whole uh, Delta variant that we're seeing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and, and I don't want to get into politics or any of that sort of stuff, but just from a process and perception point of view you know Kyle we started doing our live events again uh, yeah. starting in July and and people were so happy to get back together and now I'm starting to see some pushback where's you know what's what is this variety bringing is it something that we need to be aware of yep. is it something where maybe I don't want to get back in person yet is are we going to move should I wear a mask yeah. and what's fascinating to me about that at least in the oil and gas industry is as an industry we are truly global so the person that you and I meet at our happy hour here in Houston three days later might be in the Middle East somewhere or might be in North Sea or whatever. And so you think about the ability to spread viruses as an industry, if not that it's a good thing, but we're we're probably one of those industries that that can contribute to that. And so when you get into that, how do you make sure that your people and your facilities are safe? You know, what process do you put in place? What tools do you use to make sure you can track things like immunizations, uh, exposure, all that sort of stuff? And because this is the second wave almost, um, you know, I think a lot of people are are literally mentally and physically tired of being locked down. So I I think we're going to have to figure out how to deal with this new variant of the virus while we're still getting around and together in person. And, we're, you know, Kyle, we're recording this right the week before OTC. This is the largest offshore yeah. conference in the world. How is this variant of the virus going to affect things like OTC? We'll, we'll find out next week. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm actually supposed to be in Washington, D.C. this week. This was supposed to be my first chance to go to the uh, TC-176. It's a technical committee for uh, for ISO that actually reviews and revises the standards. So I was super excited to get to go take part in that this week, but it got canceled two days before I was supposed to leave town for fear of this uh, Delta variant. And now I know everyone has 10 different opinions and very passionate opinions on this stuff, but I mean, you bring up a real good Good point here. And so where my mind goes, because I try to look at everything through this quality management uh, type lens, 
is we really have to dig down into, you know, what's, uh, what are our risks here? You know, what are the risks to our, our, our company, to ourselves, to our community, to a global community as a whole? I mean, I hadn't even thought about what you just said with, you know, folks that are coming in and out of OTC. Like, holy crap, we're going to touch darn near every country in yep. the world within a week's time. Yep. Um, so yeah, you really kind of have to look at this from a risk perspective. And the example I love to use when I do trainings for risk is I, I talk about, well, what about a shark, right? So people are afraid of sharks in the ocean. Now that's kind of a weird example, but the chance of you getting bit by a shark are actually pretty dang slim, extremely slim, but people are always scared of it and afraid of it. And we've known uh, folks that we want to invite on vacation with us before and like, no, I don't, I don't swim in the ocean. It scares me. I'm like, that's a little weird, but they, it's the perceived risk versus the actual risk. So I guess that's kind of an interesting point to think about. Um, yeah. The, so the perception drives the behavior, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, even watching my own company. So, um, you know, we have a lot of big companies that are sponsors of ours. And so one of our sponsors, which is an extremely large technology company, basically pushed its policy backwards literally just this week. And it's based on the perception of the virus, not on data, not on yep. any type of true risk assessment, just perception. But it's having real impacts. So yep. our sponsor now um, can't allow uh, their people to go to any of our live events, whereas just last week they could. Wow. Right? And so it's it's the perception is actually yep. a real cause and effect. Well, and I think that's something that I, I really haven't considered that much as well because I look at it from a – like a base statistical thing, right? So let's pull out the control charts. Let's figure out how likely this is or isn't to cause an issue. And we look at the uh, survival rates, and it's like 99.99 something. I'm more likely to die from the flu, me being, you know, in my 30s and relatively good health. I'm more likely to die from the flu than COVID. Um, but then we still have that same public perception, and that plays a critical and vital role in our business. That plays a role in people how comfortable they are in the office and these cultural more soft issues have real tangible benefits and and uh and can real tangible uh, detriments to our organizations so um, and and to get to the risk factor you're right the risk of you actually dying from COVID, even if you're in a high risk is still relatively slim but it still happens yeah and then you get to the whole part of the perception of spreading the virus right right and so that's why you see the silliness um of the people by themselves in a car with a mask on. <laughs> yeah. Right. You're, you're not going to give it to yourself. Right. Wearing the mask may be beneficial in other circumstances, but the person that's doing that is not trying to be silly. They feel like that's the right thing for them to do, to be safe, to wear a mask in the car by themselves. Yep. And so you can see a lot of that behavior, I think, come back as well. Once again, whether it's based on science or not, it doesn't matter. It's what right. the perception drives you and how do you feel about it. Now, it's, it is interesting when I look at it from a quality point of view and look at it from a data point of view. I, you, I haven't talked to you about this, but when everything really hit the fan about April of 2020, I actually pulled a bunch of data sets from uh, World Health Organization and some other organizations, and I used Power BI, and I was crunching my own uh -huh. numbers to look at it. <laughs> and what was interesting after doing all that work is my results were within one or two percentage points of everybody else's results. So yeah. 
it didn't really matter. The trend was going to be the same no matter what data yep. set you crunched. And once again, to your point, the risk of actually dying is very small, but the risk is there. Right. And people see that risk and the likelihood goes up. So, you know, when you do uh, an FMEA, right, you do a FEMA, this risk assessment, you're going to identify three things. What is the likelihood of occurring? And we track these on a one to ten. So what's likelihood of occurring? What's the severity if it occurs? And how easy is it to detect? And so when you multiply these three factors together, you get what they call your RPN, your risk product number. And so the higher the RPN, the greater the chance of something detrimental occurring. And so that's where I use kind of the shark analogy with folks before. It's like, fine, if a shark bites you, it's an 8 out of 10. It's, it's bad. You're having a real bad day. affects you the whole dang rest of your life. But the likelihood's about a 1. Um, and then the detectability, somewhere in between. You don't necessarily know it's in the water, but they got the lifeguards and the watch. You got some chance of detecting it. Well, let's take a look at COVID then, or this Delta variant. So the likelihood of us getting it is really dang high. Like odds are, if you don't, if you're not vaccinated, odds are you're gonna get it. it, it not this year, sometime soon. You may have already had it. And may have already had it. it. Yes. Yeah. So the likelihood's really high. The severity, there is a severity number in there, so maybe we give that a two or a three. And then the detectability, this is actually kind of easy to detect if you have it. So you can multiply those numbers together and get you some sense of a value. But then that's only on the physical risk that we're looking at. Then you have these psychological issues and these cultural issues that go along with it, where to your point, like your sponsor that's saying, hey, we really can't do these live events. Maybe not because it's going to have that severe risk on those individual people, but it's going to have that risk on the perception of the company. And that you can equate dollars to. I mean, this is what people spend so much money on marketing campaigns for. Marketing campaign doesn't make your product better. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So actually, when you think about that way, if you're a big company, uh, one of the things that happened during 2020 was that it was a unique situation. Nobody in the history of mankind had ever been through this type of pandemic with the advantages of the technology we have now. Right. And so it was new. It was a learning experience for, for, for all of us. Now companies that have went through 2020 and the first round of COVID are now having to figure out what can they learn from that to help them with this second uh, Delta variety. And one of the things has to be, Kyle, your ability to track the important parts and pieces, the numbers, right? Yeah. Um, because we didn't have to do that before 2020. No. Yeah. So if, if I'm, you know, if I'm a big company, if I'm a Chevron out there and I'm looking to make sure my people are safe no matter what, whether it's perception or actual, you know, f- f- uh, medically based uh, risk. Because these really are two very different yeah. risks we're looking at. How do I track the important numbers? Yeah. What are the important? And what are the important numbers? You know, um, I, I love uh, reading from uh, Edward Deming. So anyone that listen to this often, Edward Deming is effectively the the father of modern quality management. He is almost single handedly the reason that Japan overtook us in manufacturing and technical capabilities in the fifties and sixties. And so Deming makes a point quite often that unfortunately the most critical numbers you need for your business we have a very hard time actually tracking. And so people try to come up with ways of it. But what's your actual perception in the marketplace? Show me some real numbers on that. And it's hard for any individual team to find that. So it kind of makes sense. I'm not saying I like it, but it makes sense why so many companies react very, very strongly. Um, it reduces the, uh, the risk of negative perception from the market. Well, then you have the other thing with public companies is they have to worry about shareholder value, right? Yeah. And so, once again, it's a perception thing. This might be yep. a theme for the sewers, perception. But 
The perception that the company is doing a great job managing COVID drives shareholder prices up. Yes. And the perception that you're not doing it drives it down, whether that's based on reality or not. That's true. That's true. And for small business, which I guess this kind of helps make sense of these things a little bit. For small business, we don't have that, right? Small business, there's no shareholders. Maybe you've got a couple of investors, but really they're just looking at the P&L. What are you returning on a month-to-month basis? But when you get the larger organizations, that's their stock price is what holds them up. That's what their loans and all their liabilities and their investments are on. So when that stock price plummets, that can have a much greater uh, detriment than if actual revenue plummeted. Right. So it is. It's really interesting to see why we see such bifurcated change in things. You know, a small business owner, I'm kind of like, you know what? It's my risk. It's my life, my risk. I'll, I'll take that risk myself. I have the individual choice. But then when you get to these larger organizations, that perception becomes more critical. Yeah. And, beca- and not only for the shareholders, but also all the stakeholders. So if you work for a large public company, you want your shareholder value to be good. Yeah. Because that directly rates the financial stability of the company that you work for. So I, I think this is good because this is a conversation I've had with a number of folks for us. We see like these weird divides in it, but it kind of does help make sense of why those divides are there. I'm not saying I have a solution to anything, but understanding a problem is oftentimes the first step towards solving it. But uh, you had another point earlier when we were talking before we got started here about um, tracking people that are vaccinated. Um, so that kind of brings up some interesting questions. Yeah. And so so do you track what, what are your moral and ethical obligations if you track um, what is legally what you have to worry about from a data privacy point of view? Because you and I are talking, and if any of your listeners know the answers, we couldn't figure out if – so if OGGN started tracking our employees if they were vaccinated or not, is that a HIPAA issue or not? I don't know. I don't know. I would think it is. Um, but then again, like my kids, when they enroll in school, we have to show that they have vaccines before they can enroll in public school. Is that a HIPAA violation? Yeah. And it, so so what's cool about that is now you're taking the same thing, which is a vaccine, but you're talking about it from two different points of view. You're talking about from the vaccines that we all grew up with that saves humanity from smallpox and measles, yes. which we all accept as super normal and the risk is minimal, to the vaccine for COVID, which not all of us accept as normal and yeah. not all of us assume the risk is minimal. Right. Right. But it's same thing. It's just a vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. Interesting. Um, you know, tracking your employees for a big organization must be a pain in the butt, uh, you know, because if you if you have a large organization, not only would you want to track who's vaccinated, but what vaccine did they get? Yeah. Where do they get it? Do they what have, if we find weird results in a year's time? Yeah. And then you'd have to keep all that data super secure, right? Uh-huh. Even if it's not HIPAA compliant, you still want to keep it you super secure. That, yeah. Um, and then who do you allow to have access to that data in the company? Yeah. Because doing if you work for a large company and you had that data, doing some big data analytics on that would probably be super valuable. It you would. might see that people in the south of the U.S. Uh, have twice as much incidence of testing positive. And by the way, people, I'm making this up. I'm not a doctor. Um, and you could see that maybe your your people that are working in Norway have zero, yeah. right? In which case, you probably want to jump on a plane and go to Norway <laughs> until this is over with. But, you know, but would that, you know, from a legal and ethical point of view, could you allow people to have access in your company to that data so mm-hmm. they could do big data analytics? Yeah. No, I, I think that's fascinating. Um, you know, and then there's this other topic that comes up about, you know, herd immunity, right? So we know that not everyone has to be immune for the virus to fizzle out. But given how contagious this Delta variant is, I'm not, again, not an expert, same as you said, just throwing out a number. Let's say that 80% of our people 
need to either have had it and have natural immunity or have had the vaccine. And then we're relatively safe. We're doing our part to protect others and so forth. Well, then if we could track that uh, from a company level and say the rule is we're going to shut down and we're not going to do live events until 80% of our workforce has the antibodies. antibodies. Well, that's that in itself isn't that hard to track. And you could track that data anonymously because then every employee just becomes a number. Right. There's no unique identifiers. And you simply take total employees, total folks with, you know, antibodies. Do we meet the criteria or not? Um, and I, I love that. It's so simple. Yeah. yeah. It's and then you don't have to have this 100 percent compliance because that never works. You always get some stubborn SOB. And I'm typically that person. <laughs> That says, I'm not going to do it, right? But uh, so you still give folks freedom to do what they want, but some incentive for folks that are on the fence to, to uh, comply. And I was thinking about the uh, QMS software we have is I track everyone's trainings in it. We put a training requirement in there, and we track whether or not they've had it. We have the retrain intervals and everything in there. So this could easily be a separate training requirement. And if you're a computer geek, it's not that hard to secure those type of competence records so that not the average public sees it. They just get the uh, anonymized data when it's entered in there. I mean, like, solutions exist. Hey, this is Kyle with Texas Quality Assurance here for the Quality Matters podcast. want to thank you so much for tuning in and listening. If you're listening, we know that you understand that quality matters in your organization. Heck, quality matters at home, at church, our government, you name it. But if you are like so many other organizations that we work with and are having a hard time getting that message across to your team or perhaps just struggling with the implementation of a system, let us know our coaching and training systems are available for use for you so that we can help you put the edge of quality in your organization so you can get back to doing work that matters.